It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said done on your wednesday episode of locked on raptors we get a little national perspective on the outlook for the toronto raptors season plus a look around at some teams in the eastern conference that are projected ahead of the raptors who just might falter and allow the raptors to be the benefactors we'll get to all of that with our special guest james herbert of cbssports.com on your wednesday episode thanks so much for being here oh like because when i shot i expected to make it so like i don't shoot kind of miss you are locked on raptors Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the bridge of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1250 of Lockdown Raptors for Wednesday, September the 28th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. No, I'm not at RaptorsHQ.com. I keep on doing that, even on the second take of this intro today. Uh, either way, we'll figure that out later. I'll sort that out. It's been 1,200 plus episodes of introducing myself the exact same way. And so I, I guess we're just going to live this cycle each and every day. Either way, you can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked 
Sun Raptors. You can subscribe to, follow, and review, rate, rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts for free. We're also on YouTube. You can go hit the big red subscribe button and support the show that way as well. And it's much appreciated as it is appreciated when you make us your first listen of the day. And my little uh, faux pas off the top of the show where I keep introducing myself with the outlet that I used to write for, that'll be resolved soon. I'm working on coming up with a bit of a newsletter that people will be able to subscribe to where I'll be able to put down my semi-retired Raptors blogsman thoughts. And so uh, keep an eye out for that coming down the pipe at some point soon here. With that, however, let's get into today's show. We are joined by the wonderful James Herbert of CBSSports.com, regular guest of the show. Jimmy Herbs, how are you, man? I am wonderful. Thank you for that intro. <laughs> hey, man, it's, uh, it's always lovely to have you on the show and always good to get your perspective on things because you are schooled in the NBA uh, like very few are. And it's, uh, it's always lovely to hear what you have to say about the Toronto Raptors. And by the way, as we record this, there's a fresh post up at CBSSports.com by you talking about the Raptors and their weird experiment and Scotty Barnes's role in it all. And uh, maybe we start there, shall we, James? The season to come is going to be an interesting one for the Raptors. There's, I think, a pretty wide range of outcomes within the very good Eastern Conference. I think a, a sort of very bullish outlook on them puts them in sort of the contention for a home court spot. The less bullish outcome, maybe kind of in the play-in conversation, you know, 7-8 in the range of the Bulls, maybe the Hawks, something like that. I think the more realistic outcome is probably 5 or 6, where they were last year. As the conference is better, they could get better and not win as many games, and that's totally fine. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I want to get your thoughts on Scotty Barnes in particular and his role in sort of whatever the Raptors season is going to be, you know, I guess your bullishness on the team or lack thereof is tied to your belief in Scotty Barnes kind of taking a leap. We've heard lots of talk about points Scotty so far in the preseason. Nick Nurse talking yesterday about the wanting to get Fred Van Vliet off the ball more often to, you know, free him up for more catch and shoots. And Scotty seems like he's going to be a big part of that if they're able to pull it off with the ball in his hands getting downhill. Um, where are you at? With Scotty Barnes, your level of expectation for him, and then in turn, what that does to your level of expectation and belief in the Raptors going into the season. Yeah, I mean, I'm just really excited to see what what he looks like in year two because he's the sort of guy that can kind of be anything. <laughs> like his mm-hmm. game, um, I player think of like... the future, as uh, Masai Ujiri said, the forthcoming David Cronenberg sequel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, um, but. <laughs> He can sort of build his game out in lots of different ways. He's already such a versatile player. Um, I think his improvement could come in a variety of areas. He could come back and just be a bigger like focal point of the offense. I think that's sort of the most obvious change that could happen with their offense. Like maybe he is just fully with the second unit. Like he is the guy. And if he's efficient in that role, if the offense is better than it was with the second unit last year, maybe there's a little bit more shooting uh, on the second unit now that Otto Porter's in the fold, then maybe Scotty earns himself a little bit more playmaking responsibility with that first group. And Mm -hmm. maybe he can make everybody else's lives easier on that end if he's drawing extra attention and if the the shooting has improved again he was already i think he exceeded expectations last year as a shooter the percentages weren't amazing but it was more so just sort of like the confidence and the comfort level and the fact that he was oftentimes hunting his own shot in a way that some people weren't quite sure if he was going to be ready to do um at the nba level like if he takes another leap there then i mean the possibilities are are kind of endless with him i also think there's a ton of room for him to grow on the defensive end too because i I think Mm -hmm. last year was more 
what was impressive about him was his versatility, the types of different guys he defended more so than him being a lockdown guy right away, or more yeah. so even than him being a mistake-free team defender, even at that point. Like, I, I think he can be a lot more solid on that end. The key for him is that he really wants to defend and that he has the size and the quickness and the strength and all the attributes you want in terms of somebody who can be a, a really high-level defender in the NBA. But I wouldn't say that he was a really high-level defender last year. It's more just he showed the, the upside. So... I'm curious to see what Scotty Barnes looks like this year. I'm not necessarily putting a ton of expectations on him, though. I mean, it's year two. I think there there's certainly superstar upside on him, but it would be kind of unfair to say, like, he needs to be a star right away. But I, I do think if you're talking about, like, okay, like, in theory, how could the Raptors make a jump? How could they be a lot better? Like, Scotty Barnes, like, rising up a level or two is, is the, the simplest path to them being meaningfully different than they were last year. For sure. And I also think it's nice that there's not like the onus on him to go and do that right now in order for the team to be competitive, right? Like they have mm-hmm. the infrastructure in place to kind of bring him along slowly. And, you know, you don't want it to be too slow because then you kind of age out one core as Scotty Barnes kind of waits to become whatever he's going to be. But they have some time here. They have some room for patience. And I think, you know, I think it's fair to expect a pretty substantial jump from Scotty this season. It just kind of, maybe not even in one particular realm of the game, but maybe just kind of a little bit better in a whole bunch of different areas, right? Like a little uptick in shooting, a little uptick yeah. in the, the, the court awareness and the, the playmaking and sort of understanding the limits of the guys he's throwing hilarious passes to. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> the, the the space that is probably going to be offered to him and to operate and kind of get to the rim and sort of be one of the agents of... You know, Nick Nurse said one of the things they really want to do is prioritize rim and free throw this season. And, you know, Scotty feels like maybe the best guy to try to go ahead and do that based on his numbers last year and the ability for him to just kind of get to wherever he wants to go because he's strong and bouncy and elbowy and all that. Um, You know, I'm really, really excited to see what Scotty's going to do. That doesn't concern me what, what, you know, he's going to look like. I, I guess my next one here as we kind of get ready to get set up to talk about the Celtics and the Nets and some other teams that might have some foibles to sort of potentially be exposed here. I do think the Raptors are kind of unlike a lot of these teams where there aren't that many questions. Like we know who's going to play the minutes. We know what they're going to do stylistically and game plan wise. And we know who the sort of main characters are going to be. And we know that it's probably going to be a pretty harmonious situation. If we go back to previous Raptors seasons, like that's just kind of what they do. Whereas there's other teams that have a lot of questions and concerns and injuries and, you know, uncertainty with who's going to be playing on given nights and who's coaching the team and things like that. So I guess, you know, is there one of those red flags to you looking at the Raptors like a sort of thing that could potentially be their downfall, be the thing that kind of brings them back a little bit after overachieving last season? Um. I think like we basically know who they are. the The concern mm-hmm. would be that they don't make much of a jump offensively, which you're you're kind of hoping. You're looking at the team and you're saying, all right, well, their advantage is they have all this continuity, and the additions that they have made. Really, Otto Porter is the most significant one. Like it's a purely additive addition. He takes nothing away from their style. Um, if anything, it opens stuff up. Like if you're talking about Scotty Barnes and wanting to see point Scotty, like 
one way to make a point Scotty lineup more effective or look more effective is put him out there with Van Vliet and Anobi and Otto Porter at the same time. And suddenly he has more space mm-hmm. than he ever had last year. And if you want him to be able to actually get to the paint and get to the free throw line, like that's a way to do it. So he doesn't have to barrel into multiple defenders. So he doesn't have to play in a phone booth. And if the spacing is a little better this year, then you could see a jump. But I think it's still not a super deep team um Mm -hmm. it's not really shallow um it's a little deeper than last year just because of porter i think maybe maybe, um malachi gets in or something but i I think it's not it's not a super deep team if the wrong guy gets hurt then it can look pretty different particularly if that guy is one of the few shooters that that is on the roster I, i think really the worry is that the raptors are somewhat like they're basically the same team as they were last year and maybe if they're a little bit less healthy and then the rest of the conference is just better Mm. then they could find themselves in a tough spot and it could look worse than it really is because this east is looking pretty formidable there there's going to be a lot of competition for those five six spots avoiding the play-in it's not crazy to imagine the raptors actually being a, a like sort of a qualitatively better team than they were last year, but having a slightly worse record or falling into Mm -hmm. the play-in or whatever. Um, If they just lose a couple of like games of consequence against teams that they're trying to battle for position with, then that could kind of determine the the end result at the end of the year. Like I I think if you're trying to go through the whole league and like pick your win totals and make sure they all add up right, like you find yourself in a spot pretty quickly where you're like, I don't know how to differentiate between these teams. It could be really, really close. Um, but um, that that would sort of be my thing is just like the concern is not really so much about the Raptors aside from the obvious kind of concern areas that already existed, the half court offense, like sometimes the defensive rebounding, um, the just sort of over-reliance or just maybe not over-reliance, but the reliance on winning the possession game every night um, as part of their identity. Like all of that stuff is kind of what it was last year unless they make meaningful improvements. But honestly, with a lot of that, I'm like, all right, like that, probably matters a little more in the playoffs than it does in the regular season. I think they have a really mm-hmm. good formula. Yeah, like, I mean, I've cited this a lot. They tend to win a lot of games. Like, they they overachieve. They have eight of them in the last nine years, hit their over. Like, that's just kind of what they do. And so I'll probably give them the benefit of the doubt until they give me reason not to when it comes to sort of projecting them out um, and sort of envisioning what their end-of-season win total is going to be. I'm probably coming a little higher than the over-unders. I have, I'm not sure where it's actually even set at right now, but, um, you know, I think they're going to be really good. And the fact that they have the continuity coming into the season maybe sets them up for a bit of a hot start, which could be very important, as uh, wins are going to yeah. matter big time in the upper crust of the East for sure. With that, let's talk about a couple teams that might be at risk of a bit of a slower start because things are kind of haywire. We'll get to the Boston Celtics, the Brooklyn Nets. I kind of want to talk about the Miami Heat as well coming up a little later on. But before we do that, should tell you about our friends over at betonline.net, who are the number one spot for all of your football betting information this season. You can follow the latest player developments, team matchups, uh, news, podcasts, in-depth analysis, injury reports, and everything else you might need to become the informed football wagerer. Instead of just throwing money at teams that aren't going to win, do the research, go to Bet Online, make use of their many resources and tools to go win yourself some scratch when you put money down on Sunday. They also have everything you might need for the other sports. you got MLB playoffs coming up right now. You've got MMA, boxing, golf events, 
NBA and NHL futures are available as well. It's all there. If you go to betonline.net, you can use your mobile device as well to scope out their site and find everything you might need to know to become the informed wagerer. As I said, it's uh, it's a lot better than just throw money down on stuff that you have nothing, no, no idea about. Let's just throw money away. I did this last night. I went to the Blue Jays game, and while I go to games, that's kind of the only time I do sports betting is while I'm at a game, and I was just throwing money down on horrible bets. I lost all my money in my account uh, while I was betting on this Jays game in person last night. And so don't be like me. Go to Bet Online. Get all the information you might need. Bet Online is where game starts. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4:55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And we continue on here with your first listen of the day with James Herbert of CBSSports.com. Let's talk Boston Celtics, shall we, James? Uh, weird lead up to the season, and that's probably putting it lightly. Ime Odoka suspended for the season. Still not really anything in the way of hard details as to what's happened there. I will trust the Boston Celtics that it was serious enough to warrant a year-long suspension and not really question anything there and not do the thing that everyone did last week, which was be super gross online. Uh, <laughs> boy. We, of course, have to address the Robert Williams injury as well. 8 to 12 weeks with knee surgery. Uh, That sucks. Gallo, of course, out for the Boston Celtics as well. They were, it seemed like, the consensus title favorite. Certainly the favorite in the East a month ago. I don't know how that's changed. I haven't really looked at the way the odds have shifted or anything like that, but... I certainly put them down a little bit further in my East hierarchy. I think the Bucks are the best team. I think the Bucks are going to win the East. I'm picking a Bucks Nuggets finals, baby. It's happening. Um, but the Celtics, James, are they potentially a team the Raptors might be able to benefit from sliding down because of all the disarray? Or are they just too good with Tatum and Brown and the deep cast of guys they have? And, of course, Malcolm Brogdon, the addition there as well. Like, What's your read on the Celtics with all of the chaos going into the season? Could it potentially derail the season of what was once predicted to be the championship favorite? It could. I'd be surprised. I think like if I get in a time machine and go back just a couple of weeks, not even not even that long, like I would have said the Celtics are the best team in the NBA. Like I think mm-hmm. uh, they are just so deep. They are so versatile. They they had a ton of lineup flexibility last year, and now you add Brogdon to that mix. You have a better closing lineup, in my opinion, now, now that you have him. Um, you just you're able to rely a little bit less on like you know playing your main playmakers so many minutes. I think just the idea that they already know who they are, they already know what they're trying to do on both ends of the floor. Whereas last year it took them you know almost half a season to to figure all of that stuff out, and then they started fighting uphill because they really needed to and they they wanted to get as you know, they wanted to finish really strong in the regular season. They did that, but they were kind of dead by the uh, by the time they got to the finals. And I think that that played into what happened. I think they just it looked like to me um, that they were in an an incredible spot going into the year. They they were almost they're not a flawless basketball team, um, but I think they were more. They looked like they'd be more injury resistant. They looked like they just had so many options. And the you know 
we already have proof of concept with what we saw from them last year. So now it's, it's basically just a matter of, all right, well, can they improve on the, the couple of sort of weaknesses they had where the offense would look a little bit uglier um, at times against elite defenses in the playoffs. Um, but I mean, I, getting another playmaker of Malcolm Brogdon's caliber is kind of like the best answer really that, that you could hope for in that mm. respect that we, we thought they were going to have Gallinari as well. We thought that that would maybe help the bench a, a little bit. Um, so yeah, it looks different now for sure. Uh, Robert Williams is out what they said, eight to 12 weeks, I think. Um, yeah. And Gallinari, we now expect nothing from, from him this year and they have a new coach. Uh, it's pretty yeah. weird. Uh, Ime Udoka, <laughs> I, I think if you did the coach of the year vote after the finals or going into the finals, he probably would have won it. Um, he yeah. gave them a whole new identity defensively. And that whole identity was built around Robert Williams, ignoring shooters roaming around and just kind of, you know, disrupting everything, just blowing up plays and protecting the rim, flying over from the weak side, rotating around, like just kind of like being a dominant defensive player. And oh, by the way, he can switch and everybody else can switch. And if they want to just shut you down and like not let you make conventional reads at all in your offense, like they can do that. I, I think it's a little bit harder now. They can still basically play the same style, but I mean, you saw even last year, there were some playoff games where Robert Williams wasn't able to go and it looked different. Things weren't as easy. They no longer had a vertical threat uh, rolling to the basket. I think the, the, the difficulty level um, of just spacing the floor. He, it's Obviously, he's not a shooter, but like he spaces the floor the way he rolls to the rim. He creates um, open opportunities for other guys. Like That's gone. His high mm-hmm. post passing and stuff, that's gone um, for the time being. Um, so, yeah, I think they, they want their whole thing going into the years. Like They felt like they knew who they were. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. They knew how to play, um, and they wouldn't have to deal with all the crap they had to deal with last year at the beginning when they were figuring things out and everybody was wondering what the future of the team was going to be. Now, I don't want to say that it's suddenly bleak or mm-hmm. anything, but there are some questions here, and I don't think it's going to be super simple at the beginning. Like I, I have no idea how Joe Mazzola is going to do as a coach. I would imagine he's going to have a pretty similar style on both ends of what they had last year, especially given... Mm-hmm the sort of timing of this. It's not like he had a whole off season to figure out like major philosophical shifts and changes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't expect it to be just them being dominant from, from day one. I, I, I think it's going to look different, but Robert Williams is going to come back. Yeah. If he is himself, I think they still like, to me, I still kind of put them as the favorites. I still think they're going to be really good. Um, I'm not sure that, like if I'm looking at this from like a Toronto perspective, I look at this and I'm like, well, this isn't like bad news for the Raptors that the Celtics are now in a weirder spot than they were. <laughs> um, but I I don't think it's like, all right, well, this is this is the opening. This is what's going to do it for the Raptors. This is why they're going to finish higher in the standings than they did last year because I I think this is still a really formidable Boston team, and um, I wouldn't project the Raptors to leapfrog them now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think that either especially like playoff time i'm still taking the celtics over the raptors in a series for sure because Mm -hmm. they just have a little bit more playoff equity i think uh and you know ideally robert williams is healthy by then i do kind of worry about the cascading effects of just like all these little things happening like i Mm -hmm. I wonder if the lack of gallo 
I truthfully don't think the Gallo thing matters for the playoffs at all. I don't think he was going to play. If he was yeah. going to play, that's good for the other team. Um, but like, you know, if you don't have Gallo, that's maybe a little bit less relief for Tatum and Brown to have the, you know, the, the burden that they've had the last couple of years where like everything runs through them. Having someone to offset that was maybe kind of a nice thing. As you talked about, they were gassed by the time the finals ran around so that could be a thing you know al horford is very old not having robert williams around for the first couple months could potentially lead to you know maybe he gets overextended early on in the year just because they need him to play and maybe that has a cascading effect that i also think like this is a team that has been maybe more than any other team very vibes dependent over the last few years and they seem to kind of and look it's not like a statistical argument or anything like that but like They've had times where the vibes have been horrible and they've been bad as a result or disjointed as a result. And I do wonder if, like, losing Ime Odoka and throwing in a new guy who's green at this uh, maybe green. kind of causes... <laughs> aha! Uh, maybe causes a bit of a, a stir as well. And it, it's just not quite as harmonious as it was last year. That might not mean anything, big picture, but, like... Over the course of 82-game season, all these little things, I think, can matter and kind of build up and make it so it's that much more difficult come season's end to kind of bring it all together. Um, but look, they're really good, man. I, 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 don't, I still think they're going to win a lot of games <laughs> and probably more than the Raptors. But I'm also at that point in the preseason where I had, like, resigned myself to be like, oh, the Raptors are, like, you know, the sixth or seventh team. That's fine. And now I'm, like, poking holes at all of the other teams. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe they could stumble. Maybe they do stumble. Oh, maybe the, the, the Nets blow themselves up or something like that. And it becomes a little bit more realistic for the Raptors to climb up into that sort of home court range, which I don't think is, like, a crazy thing. I, I wouldn't predict them to be the third or fourth seed, but... A lot of the statistical models say they might be in there, and they yeah. obviously have a track record of overachieving and winning a lot of games, and they won 48 games last year. So, yeah, you get a couple teams stumbling, like the Celtics, or a couple of the teams we'll talk about next, and maybe you're looking at uh, sort of one of those seasons where, you know, the, the playoff structure, the one through eight, doesn't really resemble, you know, the sort of equity of who you would rank the most to least likely to win a title, let's put it that way. Um, We'll get to the Nets and the Heat and the, uh, some other East musings in just a second here with James. Before we do that, so just a reminder, Locked in NBA, go check it out each and every day as they are breaking down all of the news from across the league. Different hosts all five days of the week bringing you fresh perspectives. Go and check out Locked in NBA for free wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, James. The Brooklyn Nets, you were at Brooklyn Nets Media Day on Monday. I'm sure that was awesome and fun. Very insightful. Lots of good opinion shared around, to be sure. Uh, what was your read of the sort of situation in Brooklyn there? On paper, they should be very good. Like, they have Kevin Durant. They have Kyrie Irving. They mm-hmm. stumbled into Royce O'Neal being a nice little wing piece for them. They have Ben Simmons, in theory, as well. Like, there's stuff here to be excited about if you're a Nets fan, but it's also the Nets, and nothing is ever as it seems. What was your sort of read on the situation 
at media day on Monday. And do you think the Nets are more likely to sort of be the Nets that we all kind of thought they would be? Or will this be yet another year of Nets turmoil that causes underachievement and bad feelings and an eventual departure of one or both of their stars? <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a lot there. Um, I think It's the Nets. There's always a lot there. Yeah, there's always a lot. <laughs> Media Day was interesting because they were trying to do the normal media day thing of everybody's happy and excited to be in the gym and everybody's sure. gotten better and everybody's feeling great while dealing with an inherently like, uh, you know, there's just, there's only so many ways you can talk around the fact that KD asked for the GM and the coach to be fired and requested a trade and then backed off of it. And mm -hmm. like, it's, it was obviously a very tumultuous off season and they did their best to sort of fold that into the larger narrative around the team, which is that they had a disappointing year last year. There's a lot of stuff that went on that was beyond their control. And now they're super motivated to kind of go out and be the team that they're supposed to be. Um, but while they tried to present a united front, like there were still sort of little cracks there. And I think yesterday's media session that I went to, um, where Steve Nash was asked repeatedly about the, the Durant thing, um, showed a little bit more of the the inherent tension um, within the team, like at least from my perspective, because Durant had kind of explained the trade request as they went through all of this stuff last year mm -hmm. and that happens. But championship teams, they respond to adversity by coming together. They don't say, oh, well, when KD comes back, then whatever. They use that as an opportunity for other guys to step into the roles. You win some of those games and KD comes back and he can jump on and like say like, play off of somebody else who's feeling good that that he got all those shot attempts and he was talking about how you know the Mavericks played without Luca um the beginning of the the playoffs late in the regular season how like Steph was out for the Warriors leading up into the playoffs and they went they went and won the championship and he didn't think that the the Nets last year responded to adversity well he didn't think they earned the respect of teams around the league he thought teams kind of looked at them and like did not respect what, what was going on there. And he thought they'd skip steps and kind of their approach was off. Um, that was his perspective, Steve Nash. And he also said like, Steve agreed with me. Like when we talked about it, he, he agreed with me about what we have to do differently next year. And when Steve talked about last season, I mean, he talked about it kind of the way that he talked about it at the time and at the end of last year, which was like, there was just too much stuff happening. They were throwing yeah. out these lineups where they would have sometimes three or four non-shooters on at the same time and their opponents would have five shooters or four, like pretty much uniformly every night that they played. And like, it was just too much to overcome. There were guys who were like playing, like stretched way out of their comfort zone, playing roles that were way bigger than they should be playing in the NBA. And they kind of knew they weren't going to win many of those games. And he thought it was kind of an achievement to have gone through that stretch and survived it and still played some pretty good basketball after that, like made the playoffs through the play in and like not completely splintered. I think the degree to which they splintered is sort of debatable. Uh, KD is implying that there was a point where they kind of weren't acting like a proper team and Steve was sort of framing it differently. And I mean, if you want my perspective, like I was around that team and they even just watching them like, some of the lineups they threw out, like they had no business winning those games. Like I think like it's pretty black and white. Steve Nash is right. KD is wrong. He should not have expected them to play well when he was out last year. Cause it wasn't just him out. It was Joe Harris out. 
It was either James Harden out or later Ben Simmons out. It was a complete mess. They had no continuity. They had no structure. Nash was trying to piece together lineups that could survive defensively, and then that was making life really difficult on the, like, if they had one or two stars available, they were playing in a completely different offensive environment than what they were used to. And, like, they did kind of okay. Like, I think they were, they finished, like, 20th in defense or something. They should have been way lower than that based on their talent. I think they finished with a top 10 offense, which is, like, like stupid when you look at who was actually available in those games instead of look at the overall roster that they had. Like, I did not think that they themselves in their first round sweep against the Celtics, a championship caliber team, when you look at how close all of those games were. Like, yeah. they did not get blown out once. It was, they were a tiny team playing against huge one. Um, and I, I just think it is interesting that still now there is this, this like, disagreement clearly um, on what happened last year and why. And that's coming through even as everybody's really, really doing their best to say that they're all on the same page. And Steve is saying that Kevin and I are fine. We're good. Families fight. This is a common thing that happens in the NBA. I don't know if this <laughs> was quite common, but trade requests are pretty common, right? Like that part of it sure. I get, but like the rest of it. Trade yeah. requests that don't get fulfilled, not so common though. Well, like, actually, I, I did a story on this in the offseason. There, there have been more than you would think. And and even like superstars, like the people just kind of forget that like Hakeem Olajuwon like insulted the owner of the Rockets and demanded a trade one time, and then like became uh, the MVP and they won back-to-back titles and all this like immediately after that. Like this stuff mm-hmm. has happened um, uh, over the course of NBA history, but I mean the the Nets one like it's just this has been an overall really weird couple of years. There, I think a lot of stuff has come out and become quite awkward, and now. Like, you know, it's a matter of them coming together on the court. If if they come together on the court, then that will, like, cover up a lot of crap and drama behind the scenes. There's every championship team, including, like, the, the Raptors when they won the title. There was weird stuff behind the scenes that year that, like, does not matter because mm-hmm. they won. Um, yeah. And I, I do think there's a chance. Like, there's enough talent here. And I'm not just talking about, ooh, Ben, Kyrie, and KD, which, obviously, that's interesting. But the supporting pieces are improved too. Like they have um, actual lineups that they can put out there where they have basically like five two-way guys um, if Kyrie is trying defensively. <laughs> and they, they have lineups that have, you know, proper spacing. They have lineups that are very switchable. Um, I mean, effectively, if they decide not to go the Claxton Simmons front court route and they just go with Royce O'Neal and Joe Harris next to the, the big three, then mm-hmm. like size-wise, that's basically what the Raptors do. Like yeah. Kyrie's the only little guy, and then it's a bunch of dudes who like none of them are centers really, but like whatever. Like they can kind of do a lot of stuff. They can they're going to be insane in transition. Um, they have spacing that is different than what the what the Raptors have. They don't have quite the same athleticism, but it's really like I think the ceiling is quite high from a basketball perspective. It's just like I have questions about how they're going to play. I have questions about what the lineups are going to be to start and end games. And I think there's just this whole, like, what 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 becomes really difficult to untangle is the off-the-court crap with the, the on-court fit and talent. Yeah. Um, because I do think that I feel a lot better about the on-court fit and talent basketball-wise than most people do. Like I think they're gonna they're potentially the best team in the league. Like I could I could see them winning the championship, but mm. they're going to have to play a different style than than what 
KD and Kyrie normally do, I think, just because of the presence of Ben. And it's going, especially if they want Claxton out there with him, they're going to have to play a little bit more like a warrior style of basketball, which Kevin Durant left. So I, I want I want to see what it looks like. I've seen Nash try to implement that that kind of thing over the past couple of years, and at I mean they looked incredible for stretches when they had the big three healthy with Harden. Um, but last year it it was a pretty obvious push and pull in terms of the lineups that um, you know I think would have given the stars more space versus the lineups that gave them a chance to compete defensively. And there's still kind of some tension built into the roster there. Yeah, it's. Um, I just feel like there's too much stuff going on to like have them kind of fully realize things. Like again, not to be like the vibes guy again, but like I don't be Doctor Vibes. Go for it. I think like it matters, man. Like it matters that you don't hate the people you're playing with, or that your bo- you don't hate your bosses. Like it, it, there's a certain element of like humanity involved here. I think and. It just feels so bloody noxious there that them kind of hitting the peak and sustaining the peak that you kind of need to win a championship, that feels pretty far-fetched to me. It could happen, certainly. I just don't think it's the most terribly likely outcome. If you were sort of asked right now, put on the spot, to predict like how this net season transpires and like what happens at the end of it, what would be your sort of quick summation, your elevator pitch of, all right, this is what happens this season for the Nets, the most likely course of things to take place? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> this is like a truly Don't worry, I'm going to put you on the spot question. with another thing in just a yeah. second, too. It's great. No, I mean, we're, like, we're at that what, point like, of the what, show. I just, I have quite, like, are they healthy? Like, and if they're not healthy, who who is it that gets hurt? Like, if you're telling me they... You have to to just take all of the uncertainty, bake it into your prediction here, James. You just got to have a take, baby. (laughs) That's difficult, man. I mean, (laughs) I think, look, when I had to make, like, my, like, predicted order or finish or something, I think I had them, like, third or something. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't have them winning the East, though I do think that is, like, the highest, like, I think that makes sense. Like, they have enough talent to do that for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think you assume that, that... this comes together immediately. I don't think you assume that everybody stays healthy. I think there's at once, this is a pretty deep team that can throw a lot of different looks out there. And at the same time is sort of a fragile ecosystem. Like last year, they were a lot like to get back to kind of the criticism that KD had, like they were a lot less kind of injury resistant. They were a lot less able to overcome adversity. I think because they had a different team than they did the year before the year before, when they, I think everybody kind of assumed they were going to go win a championship if James Harden doesn't turn his ankle in the first minute, or not turn his ankle, or injure his hamstring in the first minute of that uh, Bucks series. Uh, mm-hmm. They were never healthy over the course of the regular season. They were always patching things together. They had a million different starting lineups, not quite as many as last year, but they had a ton of different looks. They had so many guys whose roles would change day to day, week by week, whatever. Um, and we were talking about that same stat of like how many minutes the big three had played together, like when, when the playoffs started, like they basically hadn't, um, but they had enough shooting at every spot. They had guys that could guard multiple positions. They could kind of like make things work generally and figure things out. They never had, they never got to the point where they were forced to play like three or four guards at the same time. They never got to a point where they were forced to play three or four non-shooters at the same time. Um, but then they went into last year, like 
little things that nobody really talked about, like Jeff Green being gone made like a huge difference to their ability to put functional five out lineups on the floor, which is the way that they like to play. And it also made a huge difference in their ability to put functional switch everything lineups out on the floor, which is the way that they like to play. Okay, so they don't have Jeff Green, so fine. Like Blake Griffin's gonna do it. Nope, Blake Griffin can't shoot anymore and can't finish anymore. So can't jump, can't walk, yeah. (laughs) Like he was starting for them. In, yeah. on a team that could have won the championship then suddenly he couldn't even get into the rotation like the whole kind of trickle down effect of just like a decent older veteran stretch five leaving the team was like a big deal to them joe harris uh had been the one constant throughout the entire like rise of the brooklyn nets from scrappy underdogs to a team that can attract superstars to a team that then has three superstars on the team was just always there was always better than people thought defensively was always stretching the floor for them was always like growing as a player and increasing his ability to like play against clothes i was like this awesome story but he was more so just like he was always around and then suddenly he was just gone yeah and they did not have the proper shooting like patty mills was like so important to just make them functional offensively but then he got worn out because he had to play more minutes than he literally ever had in his career and also he is not six foot six so that's different (laughs) um than than having joe harris there so they they ended up having this team that like a role player or two either gets hurt or leaves in free agency or or whatever and they just it's not the same uh they they can't they can't get there uh, they can't play the same way. Teams guard them completely differently. And I think this year, I, I think they have ways around all of the problems that we saw last year. Um, there's still some questions. Like the big obvious one is like Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton, like how they play together defensively. They no longer have like way too many bigs on the roster, but now maybe they just kind of don't have enough. Like we'll see. Um, but it's once again the situation where like I feel very differently about this team if you're going to tell me they're just going to have Joe Harris and Royce O'Neal like available every night for the entire season versus like Joe Harris isn't going to quite be himself. And like Royce O'Neal is going to miss like 15 games. Like that doesn't seem like a huge thing, but it Mm -hmm. is like in some ways it's a bigger deal than if like Kyrie gets hurt because like they're going to have playmaking and they're going to have like a decent amount of shooting. Like it's, it's, it's the guys that can kind of fill in and make the lineups functional. Like I just want to see how all, all of that fits and all of that works. Like TJ Warren's a big variable. We have no idea what he's going to look like. Um, Seth Curry's not even healthy right now. I also wonder if maybe like one of either he or Patty Mills is packaged together with one of their picks and they can like kind of not go into the playoffs with both of those guys, but rather have another bigger dude that can play both ways. Like there's there's ways for this team to even change over the course of the year. So you didn't answer the question at all. Uh. <laughs> my whole point, my whole point is that I don't freaking know. You don't know. Nobody knows. If you're going mm-hmm. to make a prediction, you probably don't predict that they're going to win the East. And you, sh- like, in my opinion, you should not predict that they're just going to blow up and um, fall out of the playoffs or fall into the play. And, like, I think there's too much talent. But, like, the nice median, like, most likely outcome, like, you don't just assume that that's what's going to happen. Like, they're... they're mm-hmm. The thing is going to play out based on a, a number of factors, and the one that I'm primarily interested in is health. This team, yeah, you can't. The median, they don't do median; they do extremes, and so <laughs> uh, it's probably wise to pick one of the extremes being the outcome. That said, uh, like fifth seed, first round exit, and Kyrie leaves in free agency, and everyone's sad. 
it's kind of where I I think it's kind of going to go. It's going to be all right. I think more unremarkable than maybe all the preseason hoopla suggests. Uh, I will give you one last chance to redeem yourself here, James, with a quick breezy take. Uh, I in the preseason when I have guests on here in the lead up to the season, I'm just going to ask guests for their one thing that they really really believe about the Toronto Raptors. It could be good, it could be bad. But give me a bold prediction, a bold take that you have that you firmly and staunchly believe about this Toronto Raptors team. You have 30 seconds. Uh, James, what you got? I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but that's kind of the point. I think every year, like, Raptors fans on the internet get excited that OG Ananobi is going to win most improved player. And he's going to make this huge leap. He's going to be this great development story. It'll be just like Pascal. He'll be just like Fred. My bold take is I think if anybody's winning most improved player on this team, it's Precious Achua. He was the most improved yeah! player over the course of last year's regular season. We love it! Yeah! He, <laughs> he is, like, based on just the guy he was at the end of last year, uh, he's an elite defender, and offensively, there's a lot there. We're, we're going to have to see how efficient he is on that end and how that all comes together. But, like, that, there's real upside with, with the Chua, and I think even if he's, like, basically the guy we saw at the end of last year, but he does that for a full year then that's going to look a lot better than the full season he put together last year, and he could be in the mix for that thing. For sure. Uh, You're speaking to the the precious hive. He should start, move Gary Trent to the bench. Uh, That's that's the official agenda of Lockdown Raptors. We're working on it. There will be signs on your front lawns very soon as we get closer (laughs) to the season. Uh, But with that, we're going to round out the show. James, thank you so much for stopping by. Where can people check out your work? Anything you'd like to plug? Uh, just it's all at CBS Sports, and I'm doing like there's there's a piece on on the site today about the Raptors, and there's gonna there's already been a few others, and there's gonna be a bunch more like that coming. Outstanding. Uh, for me, you can find me on Twitter at Woodley Sean. Subscribe, follow, rate, review, all that good stuff. Keep an eye out. I will have news soon regarding a forthcoming weekly newsletter that I'm gonna start diving into, uh, just to stretch those blog muscles because uh, I don't have a home for my my thoughts anymore, and it's tough. Uh, with that as well, just a reminder, we had a little contest going on this week, the Shame Sean contest, where we are making fun of how badly I sit in my horrible posture. Go back to Monday's episode, jump in the comments along with other people in there, leave the best insult regarding the way I sit and my horrible upper body and my posture and my bad muscles and shoulders and all of that, and the best insult is going to win a prize at the end of the week we're going to go through in the final segment on friday with lewis zatzman and read off all of the hilarious insults that have been levied at me uh some really good ones in there and i appreciate those who have uh, jumped on in good naturedly and uh some of you i think got a little serious and uh caused me to have some self-reflection but that's fine uh so go on monday jump on in there uh monday show jump in the comments and uh, see if you can win yourself a prize by the end of the week uh with that Around there, thank you for making us your first listen of the day. Go make your second listen, Locked On Blue Jays, as the Jays continue to push towards clinching the top wild card spot. I got my playoff tickets today. They better freaking do it, man. I'll be very upset uh, if they do not. But we'll round it there. We'll talk to you again on Thursday as we're going to play What's More Likely with Krita Mustafa. You have that to look forward to. Until then, bye bye. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 
96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.